morning. So, uh, so last week, last Sunday morning, Gary and Brian preached sermons on John chapter 9. And I was hoping this would happen at some point in this whole 100-week series uh, of lessons. And today, the scheduled lesson is on John chapter 9. It's good stuff. So on the, uh, the Facebook group page, I put a question out and said, hey, can you send me your questions about this text? Um, because no two teachers approach a text the exact same way, and you know they have this whole preaching perspective that they come at, and I'll talk about this for just a second, and preaching and teaching are two different things. Um, probably the best example, or the best directionally correct difference that I've heard between the two is preaching is looking for a physical response. You're looking for a, a change of behavior. Teaching is more, I'm giving you information that may not change your behavior right now. Right? We're building something up. So the difference in when the expected response is. But anyway, we're in John chapter 9 this morning, so if you've got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 9, and uh, we'll look at a couple pretty neat things. Now, the note at the top of your handout says, feel free to interrupt me today while I am teaching to ask questions about this text, and I really, honestly mean that. Great artwork, Twinnies, by the way. Fantastic. Um, so, seriously, if you're reading through and you're like, I got a question about that. Well, that's great. Ask it. Because I've structured the notes for today's lesson so that I can skip about 80% of it and the closing will still make sense. Okay? So I've got some wiggle room in here and this has already been posted online so if you want to go look at all the fun details in Greek then you can let her rip, Leroy. All right, so the blank at the top, the key thought for today, religious arrogance is blinding. Religious arrogance is blinding. Now, one of the things that you'll notice as we go through this text today is this extended use of uh, light and dark, right? Because this is the story of the blind man. Makes sense. It's pretty basic stuff here. So there's the light of understanding physical sight and the light of understanding the new birth in Christ. And there's darkness, the physical blindness, and then the spiritual blindness of I don't get what's going on in the world. So let's look at verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, and the question is, where is Jesus right now? Right? Well, if you look in John chapter 8, and I've got this fantastic drawing of the city of Jerusalem up here. Do my Vanna White impression. And uh, nice legs, yeah. Well, it's Shekinah glory God, baby, right there. All right. <laughs> I'm actually going to turn that into a ministry opportunity for somebody. Um, you wonder where I'm going with it now, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm scared. Where are you going with it? On Sunday mornings at about 8.20 to 8.25, there's a small group of guys that gets together with our pastors, and we pray for them so that they are ready to go and preach in the morning. Um, and if you'd like to participate in that, I'd open that up and say, hey, come on, that's awesome. Uh, now, the comment that Gary made to me this morning was that he told Daryl, to call on me to pray up on the pulpit so that I had to show my legs. And I was like, that's fine with me, buddy. It don't bother me. It might bother everybody in the audience, but it's not bothering me. So. But anyway, back to Jerusalem. So this outline is the wall of Jerusalem. The red, anybody want to guess what the red is? The temple, yeah. We put it red because it's like lots of stuff bled there, right? The temple is where Jesus was um, in John chapter 8. And he was passing by. So he's probably like 
somewhere down here because the steps out of the temple are down on the south side. So he's passing by, and he saw. Now, what does the text say there? The text says that Jesus saw, right? What does the text not say? A lot of stuff, Jim, right? The text does not say that his disciples saw. The text says that he saw. So Jesus is looking out for these people. He saw a man who was blind from birth. Now, one of the things that the disabled of this time would do is that they would camp out next to the temple because you typically had stuff with you. Like I say cash is probably the wrong term, but gold or coin or some type of currency to buy sacrifices at the temple. So if you're going to ask somebody for money, you try to hang out where they're going to have money. So the disabled would hang out and they would beg. <clears throat> man who was blind from birth. Verse 2, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And you're like, what a crappy question. Right? You know, sometimes our questions can, can illustrate what's going on in our heart. Right? And we ask these questions, and sometimes you ask a question, and I do, ask a question, and I go, ooh, that made me look really bad. And kind of like, yeah, it's because I am really bad. That's probably why it made me look really bad. So uh, I had somebody comment this week that I hope that uh, the blind man could not hear this question. Right? Because sometimes we, when we see somebody with a physical impairment, we assume that all of their senses don't work. Right? So we see a blind guy, and we're like, hey, how are you doing? He's not deaf, he's blind. Right? I mean, he's, he's, he's okay here. This is something totally different. Verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works or the business or the employment of God should be revealed in him. And I've got a question there. Am I willing to be physically impaired so that the glory of God can be evident in my life? And I hate to start off with something just really that profoundly convicting because my answer 99% of the days of my life is no because I like being able to walk and I like being able to see and I like being able to hear and to taste and touch and feel and you know whatever else but this guy was blind his whole life and, and later on in the chapter it talks about him being of age and that's a specific um, specific Jewish term that means he was probably around 30 years old he tolerated blindness for 30 years just for the day when Jesus would walk by to healing. And we think of that and we go, man, that's a mean-spirited God that would put up with that for 30 years. But think about the, the 2,000 years of storytelling on the backside that show how compassionate Jesus is that he would stop and heal a beggar. Right? Because we don't stop for beggars. When was the last time you stopped for a beggar and helped? Anybody consistently do this? I bet Barry does, right? Yep. Anybody else? No. You do? Yeah. Matt does? Yes. I get in trouble for it all the time because I'll pick up anybody. It doesn't bother me. But um, scares Julie to death. She just thinks I'm going to get hijacked. I'm like, where are they going to take my truck? It's worth like $1,000. I mean, you know, if they need to steal that truck, they need a vehicle much worse than I do. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. But. All right. So neither this man or his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must... This is the word for necessary. I must work. Now, this, is, this, word, this Greek word for work is a different word than the other word for work. There's two words for work at play here. What work at play? That's good. Um, one word for work is the business. This is what you would consider you go to work and you do this work. Another word for work, this one, let me give you the definition. It's labor, work, make gains by doing business, to work out, to exercise, to perform, to produce, to work for, to earn by working, or to acquire. This is a much broader term for work. This is any type of work 
that gets you something. Okay? So Jesus says, I must work. I must get something through my activity. And what does he get through his activity? Well, he gets our redemption, which is awesome, right? The works, the business of him who sent me while it is day, the night is coming. Had somebody asked, well, what does this night refer to? Well, it could be a couple different things. Um, Most of the commentators that I read said that it's probably referring to the time when Christ is going to be crucified and has left the earth because it was light while the light of the world was in the world. That kind of makes sense, right? And it would be dark when the light of the world has left the world. The other thing you can think about is that if this is the same day of the events in John chapter 8, it literally could be the end of the day, right? The sun could be going down, and it might be night is coming, right? Because we have to think about Jesus lived in a real time, in a real space, real days. Um, Sometimes we have these, when I I read the scriptures, I have this perfect movie set uh, scene in my mind when I'm reading through. I'm like, oh, the sun is shining, and it's 72 degrees, and there's a gentle breeze, and Jesus is just, you know, like, no, it might have been misty that day, or, you know, the sun was, it was hot, or, you know, I don't know. So these, what does the night refer to? The night is coming when no one can work, when no one can earn this, when no one can do the work that I'm going to do, which I love what he's saying here, right? He's saying that you can't do what I'm doing because we can't work our way to heaven, but Jesus can work our way to heaven. Jesus can work our way to heaven. And he did. He did all that work so that we could go. And then he drops the bombs in verse 5. Right? You ready? As long as, boom, I am. He just just throws them in here. Somebody didn't even stop to explain it. He just keeps right on going. As long as I am in the world, he does again, I am the light of the world. You know, and Jesus even uses this analogy that explains the story that's happening that day. Because right, he's about to heal a guy that's blind and open his eyes to the light, and he uses this analogy correspondingly of what he does relative to what's going on in the big picture. Verse 6, and when he said these things, he spat. I'm going to teach you a Greek word. You ready? It's the coolest Greek word. The Greek word for spit. Puo. I kid you not. That's what it is. <laughs> I kid you not. Puo. Just like that. I saw this written down. I was like, I wonder how you pronounce that. And I clicked on it, and I just started laughing. Julie's like, what are you laughing at? I said, listen to this. It's great. This Greek word. I can't aim my mouth. I've got to stand over here and do it. Puo. That's it. Spit on the ground. And that's what he did. And he made clay. And you're like, it's probably a lot of spit, right? Now, one of the things that, that we don't think about, because I just think it's nasty, but first century folks thought that there was healing properties in your spit. You ever heard that before? I never heard that. It's like half a dozen of my commentators said that. I'm like, really? That sounds just. What's that? Every mother knows. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that makes sense. Yeah. No, they they thought there were healing properties specifically for your eyes relative to your spit, which I just can't imagine somebody spitting in my eyes. I, really? I mean, this is just strange to me. Mm, okay, so he made clay with the saliva, right? And he anointed, and anointed is just a fancy theological word for he just spread it around, okay? He just spread it around, right? Spread it around the eyes. Now, there's no Greek word in the New Testament for eyelids. I really hope that he spread it on his eyelids. I mean, I really kind of hope he did. 
Um, I don't know, because, I mean, mashing mud up in your eyes? Seriously? You know, I bet that would hurt. David, yes? Yes. Yeah, the Louis Giglio video on the stars. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. This is, this is incredibly connected to other parts of Scripture, right? This is a, it's an awesome, awesome thing. So he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. So the point that I want to make is that Jesus personally got involved because he could have stood off from a distance and said, or he could have just thought it, right? Like, okay, you can see now. I'm not going to get my hands dirty with this. But he did. He got his hands dirty with this. Um, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Yes. He might have. He, he might have. I, I think the text later on implies that he already had eyes. And I know that our pastor believes that he made eyeballs for the guy. I get that. I do not want to refute that. But later on in the passage, the, when the, the man formerly blind, and we'll talk about why he didn't have a name in a little bit, the man formerly blind talks about what happened. He said, Jesus, he put it on my eyes. He didn't say he put it on where my eyes used to be or where my eye, or he made eyes. He said he put it on my eyes. So maybe he did. Either way, I mean, either way, this had never happened before. Nobody ever had healed a blind man. In the entire history of the Old Testament, all that crazy stuff that happened, you know, Elisha laying on this poor kid and the kid comes back to life and, you know, Moses parting the Red Sea and God in creation. Nobody had ever healed a blind man. Ever. Ever. Naaman got healed of leprosy. He wasn't blind, though. And Jesus does this with a little bit of dirt and some spit. And you go, dang, that is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Okay? Verse 7, And Jesus said to him, Go. And I love it. He is so incredibly consistent in his direction to people that he has impacted their lives. Because he wants them to go. 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 Go, go, go. It's an imperative. And wash, an imperative, in the pool of Siloam. And several of you ask, where is this pool? Well, this is the city of Jerusalem. And this is about, about a half a mile or so from the temple to the pool. So it's, it's a very compact place. Everything is very tightly compact. And, and it's good, right? Because I've, I've always thought, you know, if this pool was like a couple miles away, that was just mean. Because you got this poor blind dude wandering around with mud caked all over his face. You, you know, I mean, that just... Be, so... I think there's some level of compassion here that the pool was close, all right? That's a little bit of a joke, but, I mean, seriously, I mean, it's just kind of nice. So, the pool of Siloam. And if you want to see this pool, you know, Terry's going on, the blank is, um, Terry can show you. <laughs> Shameless plug there, Terry. There you go. You like that? You like that? Yeah, now he's got a meeting this afternoon to talk about this trip to Israel that he's going on. Yes, yeah, so we've got a picture. There you go. There's dozens of pictures of this on the internet, and it's really just kind of shallow-looking thing. And you're like, "Wow, it's kind of small." Because I think of a pool, and I go, "You know, Olympic-sized pool." No, 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 no. Little bitty pool, little bitty pool. So, verse seven, he went and he washed, which is just straight-out obedience, and he came back seeing. Now, the verse kind of implies that he came back where. To Jesus, right? You kind of think that. was well, not really actually the case. 
Because if you read in verse 8, it says, Therefore the neighbors of those who had previously seen that he was blind, so the neighbors, so he came back home is where he went, actually. He went back home. Yes. My wife. Yes. He could actually use the thing that God had given him now. Yeah. And, and that's a beautiful thing that, that Milo brings up about these, these healings and these miracles of Jesus because he doesn't just do it, um, there's a real slang vernacular term that I would love to do, uh, halfway, right? I mean, he does it all out. You get the whole thing. This is not partial healing. This is the real deal, you know? I mean, it's, he had functioning eyes at this point. Can you imagine? Can you ima- and this is before ADA requirements made everything easy for those, or easier for those with disabilities. I mean, there was nothing easy about being disabled in this time period. Nothing at all. So, he goes back to his neighbors and uh, said, is, is, verse 8, Is this not he who sat and begged? Verse 9, Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. <laughs> like, really? Did you not pay attention? No, they didn't. Because we don't either, most of the time. And he said, I am he. Again, do you hear his name? No name. Therefore they said to him, how are your eyes opened? Which I think is a pretty, you know, no-brainer question. And he said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Now, there are lots of examples in the, in the Bible about people giving testimonies. And some testimonies are long and drawn out, and this is what happened, and this happened. And this, I think, is the cleanest, clearest copy of a testimony in the entire Scripture because it is a, just a statement of facts that happened to me, and here's the result. And that's a testimony. What happened to you? And what's different on the backside? It's real clear. Right? It doesn't have to have anything overly remarkable. Right? My testimony is that I was sitting when I was eight years old in a junior church service, and a guy was preaching about uh, the, the flames of the fiery furnace. And he gave an invitation, and he said, if you'd like to uh, be with Jesus when you die, then you can accept him now. And I thought, that's pretty good. You know? But I'm already a Christian. I know I'm a Christian because you just asked a minute ago, who's already been saved? And I raised my hand. Because Jeremy sitting on one side raised his hand, and Lynn sitting on the other side raised his, raised his hand. And I was going to be just like Jeremy and Lynn, and I raised my hand too. And praise God for a Sunday school teacher that kept his eyes open during the invitation. And he said, and it doesn't matter what the people next to you are doing, it matters what you're doing. Well, I had not thought about that yet before. And that made a great deal of difference to me. Because I realized at that point, I have not done this. I have heard about this. And I, have, I could probably tell people about it. But I had to do it. And that's my testimony. And that day I accepted Christ in my life and it has not been the same since. Real simple. It's what happened to me. Beautiful testimony. So verse 12, then they said to him, where is he? Now this is a great question. Right? This is a great question. Because you go, because we've never heard anything like this before. So where is this guy that can do this? And the blind man said, I do not know. Now remember, at this point he has never seen Jesus. He has not seen him yet. Because Jesus sent him off to go wash this clay off his face. Right? Which I guess you could say Jesus wants you to like be clean, I guess. 
probably. So you could use, moms, you can use this on your kids. Jesus told the blind man to go wash, so you should wash your face too. Yeah, so he has not seen Jesus. He didn't know what he looks like. I don't know where he's at. So verse 13, they brought him who formerly was blind. See how these, these great links, literally speaking, they're going to not saying his name, who formerly was blind, right? to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are the, the enemies of Jesus. They are all about these, this outward righteousness, while inwardly they are just awful, awful, awful guys. And they serve as a warning to all of us that, you know, not to fall in love with our own applications of Scripture. So verse 14, Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. So he's gotten better at telling this story because over time he's kind of condensed it down, right? So he's told this a few times, we think. Verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees says, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. So let's back up for just a second. So did, I got a theological question for you here. Did Jesus break the Sabbath by doing this miracle? And the answer is no. The answer is no. Jesus did not break the rules of the Old Testament, the laws of the Old Testament while he was on the earth. He did not do that. Okay? What he broke was the Pharisees' interpretation and application of those laws. Because the Pharisees literally, they had a law against using spit Get this. They had a law against using spit on the Sabbath for medicinal purposes. You could use... I, get, I, I can't make this stuff up. You can use spit for recreational purposes, but you could not use it for medicinal purposes. And nowhere in any of my commentaries could I find out what the recreational purposes of spit were. Because I was just loving to hear that. What do you use? Spinning... Oh, okay. Ah... Uh, Olive, olive seeds. There you go, Doug. Doug's like olive seeds. That's good. All right, you guys help me out there. <laughs> you ate the Acropolis yesterday? Okay. So, so the Old Testament does not, there's the blank for you, the Old Testament does not prohibit what Jesus did. Jesus broke the Pharisees' laws. Jesus did not break God's laws, right? Because how weird would that be, God breaking God's laws? I mean, we got all types of paradoxically universe-ending scenarios here that just, this doesn't work. So others, yes, question. Well, the Sabbath is not an evening. The Sabbath is an evening to the next day. This may not be the same day. Yeah. I doubt that this is the same day. I Terry, maybe you can help me here. Would the Sanhedrin have met on the Sabbath? Okay. I lobbed one over the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think the miracle did happen on the Sabbath day, yeah. Did, that, did I answer? I don't feel like I've answered your question, but... Okay. All right. Yes. I love this, by the way. Okay, this is good. Different pool, Bethesda. Yep, yeah, Bethesda. Yeah, different pool. Yeah, because there was a, a story about an angel was to come and stir the waters, and the first dude in got healed. And you're like, that's just some weird stuff. But yeah, mm. is it near that area? Okay, cool. All right. See, he knows this stuff. It's awesome. I love that I don't have to know all this stuff. I can just point and go like, uh, you know the answer to this. 
You will see the pool of Bethesda? Okay. So others said, verse 16, there we go. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Now, this is going to sound really, really strange coming from English speakers. If a person sins, he is a sinner. In Greek, that is not the case. <clears throat> okay. The term sinner is used for somebody who has made an art form out of sin. It, it is not reflective of somebody who has sinned. It is somebody who has taken sin to a whole other level. I mean, they're just amazing at sin. It's like unbelievable ways to sin. And using spit for medicinal purposes, from the Pharisees' perspective, took sin to an art form. When we make our own rules, this is the result. Legalism. Legalism is always the result. When we extend the rules of Scripture to encompass things that it did not intend to encompass. So, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And I love it, because Jesus always causes division. That's what he does. He's the Prince of Peace. But he's bringing peace through division that he creates. And you have to pick a side which one you're going to be on. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, He's a prophet. Oh, oh. So what did he describe him as the first time? This man called Jesus, and now he's a prophet because he's had some time to think about this. Right? So, Because the normal guy, he couldn't do this. So he's, he's changed his opinion of Jesus here. Verse 18, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. I mean, come on. These were the same guys. This is, the, this is a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Okay? We know this by their actions later on. These are the same guys that would have regularly, regularly been going into the temple. And where was the guy camped out? Outside the temple begging. They would have regularly gone in. So who didn't see him? They didn't see him. That's sad right there. That the religious leaders, the elite, didn't even know this. So they called his parents. Obviously, you need witnesses, right? Verse 19, and they asked them, the parents, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? Now, the blind man has already answered this question in a court-type setting. So from a court-type perspective, this is already done. This testimony has occurred. We're done here. But, you know, arrogance usually rules, so that's how this works. Verse 20, his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he does now see, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. What? He just testified. He, 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 he told people that the man named Jesus. And you kind of have this confusion here, right? He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. What? We'll read verse 22 when we'll come back to verse 21. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed that if anyone had confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Hmm. So what does put out of the synagogue mean? There's one great big long theological term for this. Excommunication. Think about that. If you came to church and said that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, you would be excommunicated. This is where they were theologically at this point. Total abject rejection of everything that was true. So, now think about this for a second. Some of us, some of you, 
many of you, almost all of you, have deep, dear friends in this church. Right? And excommunication, in this perspective, was that you could never talk to them again. If you needed something, if you needed to buy grain, you couldn't buy it from somebody who hadn't been ex- you, you couldn't sell it to somebody who had been excommunicated. They were totally apart, outside of every social and religious circle at that point. So this was a big deal. It's a big deal. I want, I, I want to clearly state that the parents were wronged in not testifying about Jesus, but also want to balance that with, here's the repercussions of if they had. Does that make sense? I don't want you to think I'm waffling on this, because what they did was wrong, but there were very significant, serious consequences to what they were doing. So, I had a question asked to me, did the blind man's parents become believers? What do you think? Not at this point. And we don't have any information later on in the story that says, oh yeah, they were on the Jesus bandwagon. Not really. Not really. So, it's really sad. Really sad. Therefore, verse 23, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So, were his parents kicked out of the synagogue? That was another question that was asked. No. Text doesn't say that. I would say no. They played it safe on earth. Because there'll come a day when they have to testify before the one they denied. I would not want to be there that day. Verse 24. So, again, they called the man who was blind. So, they recalling the witness. And they said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner, which is ironic, right? Because he had been giving God the glory. He's like, it's Jesus, okay? They just didn't recognize Jesus was God. Now, this, this uh, type of questioning was used by Joshua in the Old Testament. Remember the story of Joshua and Achan? Achan had sin. He kept the sin. He hid the sin in his tent. He stole some stuff in some battle, and he hid it in his tent. And they weren't supposed to take anything from the battle. And Joshua, by this long, elaborate process, roots him out and finds out who it is. And they give Achan a chance to confess. And Joshua says, give God the glory. Just tell the truth. So these Pharisees are using this spiritual-sounding term to interrogate the man that was formerly blind. Verse 25, he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? Got some words in there somewhere. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already. I can just hear the. You have to read this with some, right? You can't, I told you already. He, no, no, it didn't work. And you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Which is just the, I mean, you, are, you, have, you have spit in their face at this point, right? Not in their eyes, in their face. And they reviled him. And this is, this is just heaping it on. You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. Now, if Moses were standing there, what do you think Moses would say? Be Jesus' disciple, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what Moses would say. He's like, I've been hanging out with him. You, he's the man. I'm not the man, right? He told me what to write, and I wrote it down, but he's the man. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, they didn't even say his name. You know, they don't even say Jesus' name this whole time. They don't ever say his name. We do not know where he is from. If you'd listened to him, you would have. Verse 30, then the man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is, yet he has opened my eyes. I mean, seriously, he is, he is cruising for a bruising, and that's kind of what he gets here. Verse 31, now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone, this is still the blind man, 
or the formerly blind man. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. This incredible theology from a dude that just sat outside the temple and just begged all day. Oh, and by the way, his blindness would have precluded him from actually entering into the temple. He, he never got to go in. He had never been on the inside. He was always on the outside. And yet his theology is spot on. Verse 32, since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of the one who was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Amen to that. You hadn't seen, you, have you anybody read in the Times Free Press about me healing any blind people? No. It's because God didn't send me to heal blind people. Right? I'm not God. It's not the way that works. Verse 34, therefore they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and you are teaching us this arrogance, this arrogance. I mean, it's just dripping all over this story. And they cast him out. Now, got a question for you. Were they able to disprove that Jesus healed the blind man? No. It was affirmed several times in open court. I love it. His most hated opponents could not prove that the miracles didn't happen. Couldn't prove it. So, what do we do next? Verse 35. Then Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, hard to get a lot better than that. Because you know, this guy was now it, the feeble, feeble, feeble support structure that he had hanging outside the temple is now gone. Because those people will never talk to him again. So who's he got? Oh, he's got Jesus. Okay. That's not too shabby. And Jesus said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord? So he was the man called Jesus. He was a prophet. Now he's Lord. So we're kind of going, I think we're continuing to evolve in our understanding here. Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you've often seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Jesus had a convoluted way of saying things, didn't he? That was on purpose. That was on purpose. And then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. I love it. And I had a question asked, does the man remain a disciple long term? What do you think? I would probably guess yes, right? Because he has recognized who Jesus is, and he has transitioned from that into full-out worship. Now, this was his first worship opportunity of his life. Because he'd never been in the temple. He never got to worship there before. And he's already been excommunicated, so he'll never get to worship there again. So his first worship opportunity is at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. Verse 39. And now we get to these really complex, strangely worded phrases of Jesus. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see. And maybe talking about the physical blindness there. And those who see may be made blind. See may be made blind. Yeah. If you're arrogant enough to think that you have all the answers, I'm going to blind you with the truth. And that's sad. It's really, really sad. Verse 40, Then some of the Pharisees who were with him. They're still trying to figure this out. Remember, there's a division in the camp of the Pharisees. They're trying to figure this out. Heard these words and said to Jesus, Are we blind also? You've teed it up for him now. You've teed it up for Jesus. He's looking to knock it out of the park. 
Verse 41, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. Huh? But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Okay, so let me read you a commentary on this. Christ enlightens all those by the preaching of the gospel who acknowledge their own darkness, but those who seem to themselves to see clearly enough, those he also blinds. If I acknowledge my weakness, then I am made strong. If I acknowledge my strength, then I remain weak. Does that make sense? So Jesus was constantly talking in these convoluted terms to keep them in the dark, literally, to keep them in the dark. So, what's the point? And thanks for your questions. They were really good. They helped me a lot in the study. So Lori Drake had a good comment on this. She said, the Pharisees ruined a really good day for a man who used to be blind. Right? Because, I mean, this was the greatest day ever. And they just reigned all over it. Not good. Number two, salvation is both a process and an instantaneous act. Because there's this process of him coming to the realization that Jesus is it. Yes, David? Nobody would have been checking up on him. But as a, if he were a Jew, he would have still been held to those laws. Which is impossible to keep because now he can't because he's out. Yeah, it's this whole, it's a catch-22 that you don't get out of, out of. Now, so my question is, and I know I'm running a little over here. My question is, who do you think, where do you think he went? I think he probably started following Jesus. He had no home at this point. He has no home. He's going to go follow Jesus. Yeah, mom and dad, or he can't ever talk to his parents again. I mean, that's, and they can't talk to him, yeah. I mean, this is hardcore. So, number three, religious arrogance can cause us to miss heaven. And number four, the Bible never gets old, because you heard this sermon last week, and it is still rich. And I guarantee you, and I'm not going to do it, I promise. I'm not going to teach this next week. But I could teach this same passage next week, and it would be new next week, because that's how God works. And I'm glad he does, because if it didn't work that way, after about three months of being a Christian, we'd all be bored. It would be awful. So what do I do with that? Well, don't rain on God's parade. When he does something great, get behind it. That's a good thing. Don't rush salvation. Give people time to get it. It's simple, but it's not simplistic. Right? It takes time. Uh, constantly, re- constantly reevaluate what I believe and re- rely on Scripture and not man's application of Scripture. Go back to the text. Go back to the text. Go back to the text. And continue to study things after the teaching is over. It will change everything if you keep on studying now, the last question at the bottom. So, what was the blind man's name? I'll tell you what I think his name was. You ready? I think his name was Jim. Because I'm the blind man in this story. Because I couldn't see. And Jesus came, and he fixed that. That's what I think his name is. You may have a different opinion on what you think his name is. But it's amazing how the links that John goes to in order to hide his name. The man who was formerly blind. <laughs> like, just say his name. Come on now. But I can relate to him because he didn't. I can relate to him because he didn't. So thank you for coming. I know it went over. I'm sorry. Prayer requests on your table. If you need to skedaddle right now, that's fine. The kids are going to be coming in in about three minutes, so just be cognizant of that. And uh, thanks for coming, guys.